Hi there, microbiology people. This is Dr. B, and today's episode is short and very limited or very narrow in that I want to highlight the similarities and differences between staphylococci and streptococci as it applies to how they are classified how and especially how they're identified because this is important for the diagnosis. We are going to hear a lot about both staph and strep in multiple locations causing different conditions, different diseases. So what is common for both staph and strep is that they are both gram-positive cocci. But there are many differences, and one of them is just the arrangement, as the name indicates staphylococci or um, gram-positive cocci in clusters, grape-like clusters. While the uh, word strepto, or prefix strepto, refers to chains. That doesn't mean that all streptococci, if you make a gram stain, are going to see a long, nice chain. Sometimes it may be just a few, but it is not going to be a grape-like cluster. Um, a second difference is their oxygen requirements. So staphylococci can live without oxygen too, so they are facultative. Um, streptococci, on the other hand, they are considered aerotolerant because they don't care about oxygen. They can um, live with or without. And another and, and very associated to this is the fact that if you test for catalase, and remember catalase is a very simple test when you add hydrogen peroxide to the cells, either directly on the plate or on a slide, you observe bubbles if the cell is catalase positive because they're breaking down hydrogen peroxide to water and oxygen. So staphylococci are catalase positive and streptococci are catalase negative. All right, so how do you identify some of the major players among staphylococci and streptococci? So staphylococci are also considered facultative halophiles. Halophiles is when they can uh, resist salty conditions, and that's why we can explain that they can survive on the skin. Remember that our skin is salty because of the sweat. So one very simple way of separating staphylococci from many other cells is to culture them in a selective medium with high content of salt. So that would be, for example, MSA, mannitol salt agar. Um, so cells, especially in the skin culture, if you grow them in um, mannitol salt, they will grow, staphylococci will grow on MSA. In addition to that, there are a number of special tests, specially, specifically for staphylococcus aureus. Why is that? Because when you look at the staphylococci, there are kind of nicer staphylococci and more evil staphylococci and staph aureus. Although it is kind of part of the normal skin microbiota, it can acquire all kinds of very, um, you know, pathogenic abilities and it can produce certain toxins, uh, toxins, it can be resistant to antibiotic and an example is MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus. So 
a very kind of easy way to identify or to suspect Staphylococcus aureus is the MSA plate. Because you may recall that MSA, mannitol salt, is uh, both selective and differential. Selective because of the salt and differential because of the presence of mannitol, which is a sugar. Uh, Staphylococcus aureus is a mannitol fermenter. So if you culture them on MSA, it's going to turn the color around the colony uh, yellow, which is the same thing that happens in a phenol red broth because it's the same pH indicator. So MSA plate contains phenol red, which turns yellow if the pH becomes acidic. So having yellow colonies on an MSA plate is an indicator of possible Staphylococcus aureus. Another test that is often done for Staphylococcus aureus is um, coagulase test. So you may recall when we talked about pathogenic mechanisms, we talked, or sexually virulence factors, we talked about enzymes. There was a whole table about different things that different enzymes could do. And coagulase means it's a clotting enzyme. And what staphylococcus can benefit if they have coagulase is that it kind of forms this protective cocoon of fibrin fibers around them. So it's a way for them to kind of hide from the immune system. So Staphylococcus aureus is coagulase positive. So if you add the coagulase plasma reagent and it kind of gels, so you see this gelling, it's kind of become thicker, it, that's a positive reaction. Okay, so kind of this is about Staphylococci growth on um, a selective medium containing salts such as MSA and then look for mannitol fermentation and coagulase for specifically Staphylococcus aureus. Now let's talk about streptococci. So in the case of streptococci, we already said that they are gram positive in chains and they are catalase negative bacteria. And one of the uh, most, the simplest and kind of visual ways to um, um, detect, or sorry, to classify streptococci is using hemolysis. Hemolysis. So you are looking at the breakdown of red blood cells. Many streptococci are going to produce toxins that are able to damage red blood cells. And they can be called, you know, differently, but they are, the generic term is hemolysins because they lyse red blood cells, but they are, if they are produced by streptococci, they are often referred to as streptolysins. So if you grow um, streptococci on blood agar, which is a normal, let's say, like a nutrient agar plate, as it may contain extra nutrients, and sheep red blood cells, you look at what happens around the colonies growing on the plate and you can define three types of hemolysis, alpha, beta, and gamma. And I'm going to start with gamma because gamma is basically no hemolysis. Alpha hemolysis looks like this greenish color around the colonies, and this is due to a partial 
hemolysis. So the red blood cells are not broken down completely. So alpha hemolysis, partial hemolysis, is a this greenish color around the colonies. Sometimes, on the other hand, you will see this um, complete clear halo around the colonies, and this corresponds to beta hemolysis. So beta hemolysis it means that the red blood cells have been broken down completely, and um, you know, and that's why you don't see anything red. It's a complete clear halo around the colonies. So based on that, there is a classification by Rebecca Lansfield, which was, you know, in the 1930s, and she kind of grouped the, um, the number of streptococci based on antigen cells, specific cell surface molecules, um, into the Lansfield groups. So when we look at classification of streptococci, we both look at the hemolysis and then a certain molecules, and you will see different um, group names with different characteristics. But the two main players that are kind of the most common culprits in streptococcal infections are streptococcus pyogenes and streptococcus pneumonia. So Streptococcus pyogenes is, uh, belongs to the group A streptococci, and often, often you will see this um, abbreviated as GAS, G-A-S. Um, Streptococcus pyogenes is beta-hemolytic, and it's sensitive to bacitracin. So one of the easy ways to um, um, you know, identify strep pyogenes besides, you know, the rapid test, there are many rapid tests available, is to have this gram-positive streptococci in chains, which is catalase negative. It produces beta-hemolysis on the blood cell and the blood agar plate, and it's sensitive to bacitracin. Streptococcus pneumonia, on the other hand, it's alpha-hemolytic. So streptococcus pneumonia is going to uh, produce this green color on the, uh, on, the, on the plate, on the blood agar plate, and it's sensitive to optokin, which is a different antibiotic. So you may want to remember that optokin and bacitracin, there are two antibiotics that can define in addition to the hemolysis, pyogenes versus pneumonia. S pneumonia is alpha hemolytic, it's sensitive to optokin and resistant to bacitracin. On the other hand, strep pyogenes is beta hemolytic, it's sensitive to bacitracin and resistant to optokin. Other groups that are often mentioned among streptococcal diseases are what we call, or it's called, viridens um, streptococci. So viridens streptococci are also in the alpha hemolytic group, so they produce the um, partial hemolysis. This is a, um, a, a group that, you know, the, the name is still used, but it's fall, it's not considered, you know, taxonomically correct. But they tend to be streptococci that are non-pathogenic, so they are not like pneumonia. 
that cause can cause many things besides pneumonia. So they are kind of more normal members of the, uh, let's say, the respiratory tract. And then we have group B streptococci, or GBS. And there is only one member to it, the streptococcus agalactiae. And GBS comes up very often uh, infections in uh, newborn, among the newborn. So if the mom has a GBS infection, it can um, infect the baby. And it can also affect immune-compromised individuals. Now, we have been talking streptococci all this time, but actually enterococcus is very related to streptococcus. They are kind of um, became a separate genus in the 1980s. So although it's not the same name, but group D streptococci include enterococci. So you, you know, if we, we have used them in the lab, like Enterococcus faecalis, this used to be named as Streptococcus faecalis. So um, E. facium, Enterococcus facium, uh, can uh, cause serious nosocomial infections. So uh, be sure that you are very clear about how do you distinguish Streptococci from Staphylococci, and particularly then how do you subclassify and distinguish the different types of Streptococci. Thank you.